Hey, I, I don't know about you, but this is, a, this is not a, just a light topic today. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The goal is to get through 17 verses. I hope we can get through 8, but we're going to go for 17 today. We'll see how it's, it's called the coming of, the, of that day. And from a time perspective, and so much to be there, I could literally spend some time just on two verses and take a, multiple um, teachings just in chapter 2 alone. Uh, but we'll see what the Lord has for us today, if that's what's going to end up being. But I'm going to go for a, an overall perspective. If you've been watching and following along with us in the First Thessalonians, but now Second Thessalonians, in chapter 1, it was all about last week about encouragement. It was encouragement to the believers in Thessalonica that were being persecuted, going through tremendous tribulation by the world that they were living in at that point in time. And we are to expect as believers, we will go through tribulation. God said that you were, we were going to be persecuted. We are going for our faith. We are going to experience these things. And again, very simplistic, right? If Jesus was persecuted and, and the Spirit of God lives inside you, how could you not, how can I not know that we were going to be not be persecuted as well? If you're living for him. That's the difference, right? You can be saved, but then hide it under a basket, you know, your light, and you won't be persecuted because you like it cozy and nice and simple, right? You just got to say, but now, living for Christ a whole nother because I don't feel like getting persecuted and going through tribulation. But you're still going to experience it, even as much as you try to maybe hide that because, you know, you hear all kinds of reasons and excuses of why you don't want to share your light and share the gospel, but the Lord's going to be working on you. You're going to grow and you'll mature. You'll, 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 not, you'll no longer be a baby. And uh, you'll, you'll grow up and to be an adult in, in the Christian life. And, uh, and you'll watch how God will use you in a mighty way. Chapter 2 today, we'll see the, certainly an, not only an encouragement from last week, but an enlightenment to clarification on some very important doctrinal issues that was facing them there in, uh, in Thessalonica regarding the coming of that day of the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation, and still today, even though it's, I wouldn't say one of the fundamental foundational truths, but it is one of those very close outer circle of the, <laughs> the key truths of who Jesus is. And, and many people will divide, churches will divide over the rapture and the, and the Great Tribulation. But there's some many common, common uh, beliefs and holding by many of the different churches. So again, I'll give you clarity of what the scripture says, and then you need to wrestle that with the Lord if it's different than what I'm going to be presenting. Uh, but I'll let you take that up with the Lord. And then chapter three, we're going to see, uh, Lord willing, next week we'll see the enablement of, of living a practical life through these practical problems you face in life. And how do you do that in the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ? And it appears that there were some men who said, yes, the rapture's coming. I can just drop my job and sit back and just game it all day long and have a great time because the Lord's coming back for me and I just don't have to work. And it put tremendous burden on those who continued to wait for the Lord to come and take the church. But they worked hard like the scripture says you're supposed to. So uh, there was some obviously conflict and an understanding of that. And we'll see that, Lord willing, next week unless the Lord comes back and takes us out of here. But we see here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse, verse right, 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 right at the very beginning here, verse 1, we're going to see uh, some instructions given or teachings given, doctrinal teachings that Paul's going to do to the uh, Thessalonians here uh, uh, 
through this letter, the second letter, to bring clarification. If you remember, there were some challenges of confusion that was being planted by false teachers uh, into this uh, believers there in Thessalonica. And uh, while Paul's was gone, and he's going to do the second letter, bring some clarity to everybody. And he starts off here with a letter that says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So right up front, you now know what the purpose is, why this letter is happening. And if you remember, the first letter to the Thessalonians were the same subject. It's about the coming of the Lord. And it should be about our common, uh, common theme in our fellowship. The Lord's coming back soon. Are you ready? Have you shared the gospel with those who don't know the Lord? Have you encouraged those in the faith that are not walking, they're not in the word of God, and you're encouraging them to get back into fellowship and in the word of God? It should be the same conversation that we should be having today. But he says right there, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together in him, we, <clears throat> we ask you, and I will hold there on verse 1, and realize that Paul here is addressing the questions raised by his first letter that he gave to them regarding the instructions around the catching up or the catching away of the church, what we refer to as the rapture, and that was in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Now the challenge of understanding this chapter here that we're going to find is from the fact that it is a supplement to what Paul has already taught the Thessalonians when he was there with them during those very first only three weeks of time when he was sharing the gospel. He started that church for three weeks and had to leave by force, if you remember. And can you imagine? That wasn't just one little hour that they gave him on a Sunday. If you really think this through a little bit, we sit there and go, oh, it's Sunday. I, do, I go to Sunday. I go to church once and gather together in the fellowship one day a week. And I might give him 45 minutes. And he goes over, pastor goes over 45 minutes. I start tuning out because I'm hungry or whatever. Whatever reason that the, the enemy starts getting in your head, right? These people had to have been with him almost daily, constant for hours to be able to cover all these subject matters that we know in the scriptures, right? So here he is teaching them about end times, about the coming of the Lord, back for the church, the great tribulation. We don't know all that discussion because it's not in the scripture. But that's why you have to look at it. But if you take a look at the totality of his writings of all the letters, and we see here today, you can see that we, we can pull it together in many of the key aspects of what he covered with them during that period of time. But here concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together in him, Paul clearly wrote to the return of Jesus Christ and was making sure that they're understanding there's a difference between the coming and our gathering. There are two different events. It's one great event called the Great Tribulation, but there are two things that take place in that one great event. And so he wanted to make sure it's very clear an understanding of these two essential comings of Jesus. The first one, we, again, we saw in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, of the coming uh, where he is, is coming for his church. Where he comes back to, in the clouds and we're raptured up or caught up in a twinkling of an eye. And it's no warning. We don't know the day. We don't know the time. We don't know. We just know that there are seasons and things that the Lord gives in the scriptures of, of what it would be like in like the days of Noah that we keep your eyes watching because the Lord's coming back and the cloud's going to take us out of here as his bride. The groom is coming back for the bride. There's no question that groom is going to show up for the bride. We just don't know when. 
So that's the first one. That's the first part of this huge great event is the coming for his church. And the second one, which we'll see here today, is the coming is coming with his church. That's the second part. That's when we're with him and we as believers come with Jesus back to the earth and he plants our feet right on this earth and that is that second coming of Jesus Christ and that's when we get into the the battle of Armageddon we get into the all the other scriptures we won't have time today trust me uh, to be able to get into but that's when we see that when he comes back with his church with you and I as believers to judge a rebellious world he will come and, and, uh, and uh, will judge and bring upon wrath during that seven-year period of time. We will come back with him. He will judge that rebellious world, world that rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And these are two parts of one great event that we see. Now, many times people will say, Pastor, I just don't agree with that. I don't believe it. And that's okay. You can seek to, like a Bereans, seek the scriptures, seek what the Lord is, just to, but don't let us divide as a body of believers over this kind of a thing. I just look at the scriptures. It's pretty straightforward. I just use the scriptures to make the determination. I do not take other people's book writing to make the determination. I let the Holy Spirit do the teaching because the Holy Spirit doesn't work with his own scriptures, right? So when I take a look at these two events, these are completely separate events because when I sit there and I look at these two aspects of Jesus' second coming, that the aspect must be separate by some, some, I'll give you three reasons. There's different world conditions about those two different uh, uh, events. And we see that, go back and study today, Matthew 24, verses 37 through 42. Matthew 24, 21, and Revelation 6, 15 and 16. Go back, read those, ponder on this, have a good cup of coffee or some tea with it. Apple, apple cider, yeah, that's, that's the going thing right now in the fall. The second thing to show you the difference is go back and read the different manners of Jesus' return, how he returns. Go back, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, and Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, and also Revelation chapters 14 through 15, because that describes it very clearly. And then finally, Revelation chapter 21. Again, go back and studies and see the fact that these are two events of the one great event of, God's, of, of Jesus' return for his bride and then bringing judgment and setting us back here on earth with him. To rule and reign. And then the third difference I want you to go back and study is the different scenarios regarding the predictability of the date of Jesus' return on, uh, that is established. Go back and read Matthew 24, 36. And now I'll take you to the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. So those are your reading assignments to ponder on in, a, in one of these, this cool day that's coming about. But notice here in verse 2. He says in the verse 1 that, okay, we're concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gatherings together with him. We ask you what? What is it that he asked him? Not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ has come. So these are a lot of information right here just to ponder on this alone. Because apparently a misunderstanding of Paul's teaching of from the first time when he was with them and the first letter, there was something that caused them to 
start doubting or start being troubled by what was taught, now what they're being taught. So someone came in, some false teacher was spreading something, or something was starting to question the truths that God used Paul to deliver the message to them regarding this, the great tribulation, and had caused these Thessalonians to what? To be shaken in mind. To be shaken in mind. It means there, it's, there's this, this, this distress, this confusion that is coming in their minds. You know when there is confusion, it's not of the Lord. If you're confused, it's because you're not understanding the scripture or someone is feeding you something that goes contrary to the scripture and you need to research that and ask the Lord to show you and bring clarity to that. But you will be distressed and there will be confusion. Your mind will be shaken and or troubled. We see here or troubled, meaning it will be, there'll be your, your, um, your mind will be absolutely uh upset there'll be fear that will come over you and we also know that fear is not of the lord so we know these things so if you're going through life if you're talking about scriptural things or you're talking about people are challenging you and your life and coming against you some way if you sense there's confusion and your mind is shaken you need to stop and seek the lord get clarity from him because something's not right. Something's not jiggy. So we have to change that. Or if you find that your mind is troubled, there's a lot of fear and you're upset over something, again, be still. Do not make a major decision. <laughs> Seek the Lord and wait for his peace and joy. And He that was good indicators that God is with you in the decision making you're about to make. Because it doesn't go against the scriptures and you got peace and joy. You're, you can take that step of faith, whatever God is calling you to do. Not regardless of how you feel, but how and what the Lord is showing you in regards to this. And so the day of Christ is what he's talking here, Paul. Uh, Paul's talking to them. And again, through that first letter of, uh, that he sent on First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, he mentions the day of the Lord. Here in verse 2, he talks about the day of Christ. And it's again, it's not a specific single day. It's a period of a, uh, associated with God's outpouring of judgment and the deliverance of God's people. That is what it's all about. It's a time period that we see in the scriptures where he is going to deliver his people out of uh, before the, the, the judgment of God comes down on these rebellious, rejecting world and God's pouring out of judgment during that period of time. And again, go back and read Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 31. Now, some translations we find, and you'll look at your translations, if you have the King James Version, it says that the day of Christ is at hand. I believe the, from the, the original true translations here in the New King James Version is, is more accurate in regards to the day of Christ had come. And, uh, and many of the more modern translations, not interpretations, there's a difference in your Bibles, Make sure you have a Bible that is a translation from the original manuscripts, not an interpretation. That is, that's very dangerous these days uh, to use that. I know it's easier to read because it just seems to be at that fourth grade level of reading. I understand that. But it's okay. The Spirit of God will teach you through things that are like the New King James Version is more maybe in the... The, the, the 10th to 12th grade level reading, but I assure you the Holy Spirit can take you if it was college level reading. The Holy Spirit does the teaching, amen? 
So you just have to trust God is going to show you that. Just keep reading it. He's going to reveal uh, the understanding of the scriptures, and it will be no problem. But he's going to talk about here, Paul demonstrates uh, and communicated and educated and writing, and he's trying to help them through this period of time where people are trying to cause a division and cause some issues regards to the, uh, the Lord coming back for his church and then judging the world because of their rebellion. And he's trying to get across to them, don't get to that point where you're, you're, um, you're, you're troubled by this because what was happening was the people started thinking they were going through the great tribulation at that period of time. Somehow someone came in and said, we're already going through the great tribulation. Do you see all the signs and all the wonders and all the things that are going on? We must be in the great tribulation. And Paul is going to sit here and emphasize to him, no, you're not. Calm down. It's going to be okay. And let me give you some indicators what you can, you need to see these things before the great tribulation can happen. And he's going to help them Okay, don't, don't get wrapped up in the, the fake news going on around you that someone's pumping through some form or fashion, but go back to the scriptures and what I've been teaching you, and I can show you some of the indication that he's going to do that. Why? Because we see that he says here in the scripture that you were somehow in, uh, brought this shaken mind or troubled mind either by spirit... What that means is, here they are, they're gathering together, and the people are gathering together, they're worshiping God, and all of a sudden someone just feels like, oh, I've got a prophecy from the Lord, and let me tell you what he's showing me. And everyone, oh, you mean we're in the great tribulation? That's what God is showing you right now? Because that person felt it during some afterglow or some movement of the Spirit, and it wasn't the Spirit of God. It was the Spirit of the flesh or Spirit of a false teacher that was being was sown in, and worked their way into the uh, fellowship and started take, uh, teaching things that were contrary to the Word of God. That's why we have to test all things that are said. Like I said, if you hear me, you take your notes. You go back and you seek the Lord on these things to make sure I am teaching in line and I'm not adding or subtracting from the true, pure word of God. You have to do that. It's your, your responsibility. Amen? Are you talking with me? So here's what happens. Something, someone was able to get into some kind of teaching in some fellowship and started trying to get their agenda of what their belief is, even though it was false and it was going against the scripture. Or he says on, the, on that, that second part, or by word, meaning you gave a word to someone. You came up and you said, the Lord has given me a word for you. Oh, really? Okay, what is it? Oh, this is what the Lord told me. And well, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't line up with the scriptures. But if they're weak, if they're, they're not understanding the scriptures, what would happen? Hello? What would happen? They become confused. They get troubled. Because we're in the great tribulation? You mean I missed the rapture? Wouldn't that shake you? Hello? You show up and all of us are hiding in the back in some room and you walk in and say, there's no one here except me. Would that shake you? Would that trouble your mind a little bit? Yeah, hello, it should. It should. So it was, it's through spirit or through a false spirit or through the word or by a letter because they, it appears that someone, you know, some, this happens, right? Someone says, I'm going to write a letter. But there's no, there's no um, endorsement because of who, this is just me. I'm writing a letter. Who, who am I? So what do you do? 
You go find someone with a name recognition to endorse your what? Your book. Are you tracking with me? You ever see that? You go buy a book and you look at it and say, who's this guy? I don't know this author. And immediately you start opening up and you look to see what other good names endorsed or will validate your book. So it appears that someone said, you know, I'm going to write this letter, this kind of false teaching, but I don't have any credibility. So I'll just tell them that Paul wrote it or Paul endorsed it. Oh, Paul endorsed or Paul wrote this. I can believe it. Hello. No, no. You have to go back to these scriptures and you need to validate it yourself. Amen. That will keep you from getting swayed away from the truth of God. And you must. I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters, please do not. I'm, I'm warning you, right? It's not like you haven't been warned many times over the years if you've been with us. So here he is. We're seeing it play out that Paul is saying here, okay, I'm going to have to write this letter again because I really need to make sure you need to not be caught up in this false stuff going on through this spirit movement or this word movement or this letter movement because someone has an agenda or, or just can plain out confused verse 3 let no one deceive you by any means for that day the great tribulation will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin make note of that make note of the, the falling away comes first and make note in your bible the man of sin is revealed and the or, or, and not an and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition same person we're talking about there no and there so when you take a look at this verse 3, we see that he says, please don't be deceived by these people that regarding the day of the great tribulation. It will not come. That day, capital D in your Bible, it should be a capital D, will not happen until when? Unless the falling away comes first. That's the first indication. Now the question is, what, do they, what does he mean by that falling away uh, uh, comes first. Well, people have their own opinions and understandings of what they believe this is. I'm, I'm in the kind of camp, I say all the above. You say it's not A, it's not B, it's C, all the above for me. So you can do, again, you can settle in your mind wherever you're at. You're probably not going to go wrong in regards to this, but let me explain why I say all the above. The first of all, Paul will not, um, for the day will not come which means he's describing the events which must precede the, not preceding the rapture, but it's a concrete evidence of the great tribulation that he's talking about because he's, that day is the great tribulations, but some things need to happen prior to that event, and that's when he says that falling away comes first, and the Greek ancient word here of falling away is apostasia, which means departure or departing. Now, some people say, well, is what does that really mean? Well, I, there's two camps. I think A means I believe it's a rapture. Before the great tribulation, before that, the wrath is poured out on the, on the earth, he is going to take you and I, the bride, the church, and rapture us out of here. A great, uh, uh, the great falling away comes first. Meaning we're going to be gone. Now, some people don't see it that way, but you can take, um, choose B. And B is, the great falling is, is, as we get closer to that point, a great uh, number of believers will no longer follow Christ any longer. 
There'll be a great falling of the away from the church because of persecution, tribulation. All of a sudden, it's like, I love Jesus until all of a sudden you say, you're going to be persecuted because you love Jesus. Oh, no, I'm just, you know, I, I'm only because my mom, my, 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 my husband, my wife, or my kissing cousin. Well, you know, someone else is, that's the only reason I love Jesus. Okay, you know, I'm not really that serious. I, I only go for the social time. Why? Because you didn't want to get persecuted. There'll be a light of great falling away because there'll be a great deception that will happen upon the church. And if you're not soundly grounded, you will walk away from the truths of God. And it's what saddens me, my brothers and sisters. It's already happening today in, in many respects because many churches have walked away from the foundational beliefs and, and reading of the word of God. That is a great falling away. You do know that, right? When you're sitting there, just because you come on a Sunday, just because you say you're a Christian, just because you belong to and uh, you're a member of some kind of an organization called the church today, doesn't save you. You know that, right? It's only faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is the only way you get saved. And so what happens is, is that many times you get wrapped up into the organization and not wrapped up into your Savior, and you can then find yourself in some social group thinking you're just fine because you went to church. But many churches today do not bring Bibles, even open up the Scriptures to read and study the Word. Do you know that, right? Many of you come from the, the, those denominations that have walked away over time, they've walked away from the word of God. They don't teach the word of God anymore. And that's why we need to pray for the churches in our community, that they will go back to the word of God and just purely teach the word of God so that the Holy Spirit is moving in the hearts and the lives of his people so that you're strong and you're not getting deceived by these false teachings that's going around. Because there's a lot of big, big churches that are on name only. They, they're, not, they're actually really going contrary to the Jesus Christ. And that's really sad because these people by the thousands think they're doing right. But there will be this position where if some Bible scholars debate around this the apostasy, around uh, you know, following, the, following God or a general worldwide rebellion against God. And Paul may have both in mind as he's talking and, and, and revealing here regarding the end times. You go back in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And you will see that that will help you ground your understanding in regards to what we're talking about and this great, uh, the great tribulation that is, uh, is going to be coming and that this, the, this, this falling away has to come first before the great tribulation. So Paul was trying to encourage them. Don't worry. The great falling away is going to have happen. Meaning we're going to be raptured out of here. Means that people, groves of people are not going to want to follow God. They're going to walk away from the truths of God. But don't you worry because that all has to happen before the great tribulation. The wrath of God comes, comes and brings judgment to this world. And so he mentions here, not only the falling away comes first, but then look at what happens. And the man of sin or the son of perdition. It's two, the same, two different names for the same person. We also see in 1 John and John, and the only time you see it in the scripture, the other name, Antichrist. Antichrist is only seen in the 1 John and by John in his writings. 
Everywhere else we see a dozen names for the same person. It is someone, a man, that's going to come onto the scene. We know in the scripture it's going to come from the old Roman Empire. That's, that's where he comes from. And Satan himself is using and preparing him to, to become that, the last world dictator uh, on this earth. Are you with me? That's why you hear in the news about this globalism and this movement of globalism and, 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 and anyone who goes against the globalism, you see the darkness and the fighting against all of that. You think that's politics. Hello, that is not just politics. This is a, this is a striving of the demonic forces trying to move forward with the fact that there will be a one world dictator called the Antichrist or here as Paul talks to, about him, he's the man of sin, the son of perdition. And Antichrist will take possession of this man, and he, this Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition, will be, the, will be Satan's Messiah that's going to bring in this one world government. Are you with me? So when we see the scriptures and we see this all played out, before this great tribulation, the wrath of God coming and judging this rebellious world because they rejected Christ, this Son of the man of sin must be revealed. Paul's point is so clear that you are worried about the great, great tribulation, and this man has not been revealed yet. Now, keep in mind, this man, whoever Satan's going to use, could be alive today and is growing, could be just born today, right? And that guy has to grow up to be an adult to become a world leader. Or he's already an adult. And he's just ready for what? As we will see, for God to allow it to happen. And we'll see what he still talks about. So here we know this man of sin. The, and again, the traditional understanding of this man of sin is to say that he is not an individual. Oh, it's a system. It's a world system. But no, it's very clear in the Greek word, language. It's very specific. It is an individual. This individual will bring about a world, one world government system, but it is, a, it is a man that Satan's going to possess and use, and we will see he has tremendous power to be able to do things that appear to be the Messiah or appear to be a someone from God. We'll see it in the scripture. Paul's going to tell us so. But Paul makes it very clear that, this, that Satan will seize this man and will bring him about to, for the purpose of setting up the seed of abomination in the midst of God's temple that will be rebuilt there on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. So there's no reason to see this man of sin to be other than what plainly is seen and read right here in the scripture, period. Now, Daniel describes this individual, and you go back and, and look at Daniel. He is the, referred to as the prince who is to come, Daniel 9.26. He's also the king of fierce countenance, Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 8, verse 23. And the willful king is also a name for him, Daniel 11, verses 36 through 45. That's just Daniel. That's just God using Daniel to talk about who the Antichrist is. And again, he has many names in the scriptures. If you study the entire scriptures, you know this. Jesus described this individual person, the one who comes in his own name, John chapter 5, verse 43. 
He'll come in his own name. And we're not surprised that Paul describes the man of sin as an individual person and not a system or an office. Again, I emphasize that point because there's teachings that are out there in churches that doesn't describe. They, they water the scriptures down and say, oh, it's just going to be a world system. It's just going to be this. No, it is a person that Satan's going to possess and use. Now, the, the man of sin is a prominent figure in the Bible. It's not something passive here in this one moment. And it's an ultimate personification of a spirit of the Antichrist that is spoken of in 1 John 4, verses 2 and 3. And so that's why over the years people said, oh, it must be Hitler's the Antichrist. Oh, in, in, in every world leader, if some people hate him, they're always saying, that must be the Antichrist, right? Or even our current president people thought he was, right? And the pre previous president and the previous president, everyone thought that next person was going to be the Antichrist because they didn't know the scriptures. <laughs> That's, so you don't have to be, you know, be duped by this because it, the scripture is pretty clear. But we know that the Antichrist spoken there, again, 1 John 4, verses 2 and 3, will no doubt live many years before the Great Tribulation. And he will only be revealed as the son of a man of sin during this period of time. And the idea behind the title of the sin, man of sin is sin has such an absolute dominion or domination over him that he seems to be the very embodiment of Satan. That's how, that's how it's going to be in regards to this person that Satan works. Now, the son of perdition means destruction. Not only he'll be a man just absolutely the poster child of sin, right? The man of sin. He's a poster child. What does sin look like? That man right there in the poster. And he does what? He's destruction. He's a son of perdition. He does nothing but look to destroy. Even though it appears that everything's going so well. Why do we know that? Because we know the scriptures, don't we? Because once the church rapture happens, the first three and a half years will be what? Great prosperity on this world. There'll be such a one world globalized unity. Oh, let's all sing together. Let's all just participate and we're all equal. It goes on and on and we'll do all these things because it'll be three and a half years of, of peace. Why? Because we know in the scriptures that the temple, the Jewish temple, will be rebuilt in Jerusalem. We see it in the scriptures, right? So we know that this son of perdition, meaning destruction, and complete loss of well-being is who that person is. It is really the opposite of salvation. God saves. The son of perdition destroys and, 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 uh, and absolutely is uh, complete destruction of the well-being of a person. It describes his character. It describes the doomed one in the, in the language. He's the doomed one. And so this is not a person you want to mess with, right? Because Paul did not use the term antichrist here only in the New Testament. Again, in 1 John, in 2 John. 
But this is the name we use to identify the great world dictator whom Paul designated. And we see this, not only the man of sin, the son of perdition, but note he is also, as we get to the scripture, the lawless one. We will see he's also the lawless one. Satan has been at war with God right from the very beginning when he was Lucifer, the worship leader in heaven. Did you know that? Once he rebelled against God and wanted to take over God's throne, he became the enemy of God and at war with God and anybody who was with God. Total against his plan. So we see that when that happened, when he tried to capture God's throne, and you want to know where that reference is? Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. He then went and tempted Eve, which then caused Adam to what? To go against or cause him to fall and go against God. We see that in Genesis 3. But... In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God declared war on Satan when that happened. God said, that is it. I declare war on you. And if you remember, he says, I'm going to come after you and your seed. Right? The family seed. And promised the coming of the Redeemer who would finally and completely defeat Satan. And that is the great tribulation that we're talking about today as he comes, when we come back with him and after the war, guess what happens? He's going to eventually lock their little happy little behinds in where? In the lake of fire. He and all his demonic forces, hell was designed for Satan and demonic forces, not for man. But those who choose to follow Satan and the demonic forces, they made their choice to go with them in hell as well. But that God did not design hell for them, for you and I. He designed for heaven if you want him. So it's a choice you, everyone needs to make. And I hope today you made a choice for, for Christ as your Lord and Savior and surrender all, not only to be saved from hell, but more and more and more important, much more important is to be in his presence for eternity of the love of God and not be separated from him. Because when you go to hell, that's what it means, right? Separated from anything good. You're going to be in doom day with doom man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> doom man, the foster child, the man of sin, the son of perdition, that's who you're dwelling with and fellowshipping with for eternity. I don't know about you. I want nothing to, uh, nothing to do with that part. So Paul makes it clear. Verse 4, who opposes, so he's talking about the man of sin appears. What does he appear? Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is God or that is worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. That verse is very, very clear of anyone who doesn't want God. That's their description as well. I don't want anything to do with God. I, 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 I put myself above this God thing you're talking about. I'm in control over my life. I've got my 10-year plan, 20-year plan. I know what I want, what's best for my life. I know where I want to live and where I want to go. and how to, I get to dictate all these things. You are just no different. You're exalting yourself above God. Like he doesn't rule your life as a believer. You're talking like you're a non-believer when you talk like that. 
You're, you, you and I are just obedient to what God tells us to go and what to do and where to go and, and how much. You're just worshiping him and just, just living for him until he takes us home. But if our mindset is a believer that says, and, there, and there's a lot of churches that teach this, that you can live however you want to because you have liberty, brother. You have freedom, brother. You get to do, think and do whatever you want to, brother. He loves you. You have to be very careful of scriptures. He does love you. While you're still a sinner, he went to the cross and died for your sins. But once you give your life to Jesus, you surrender all. How much is all? All. <laughs> Hello? It's all. In my English dictionary or Greek or Latin or anything you want to use, it still means all to me. Are you with me? <laughs> But we see that he, and he's going, this, 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 the Antichrist, this, the man of sin, the son of perdition, is, and Satan's going to use him to uh, be above God and to worship Satan. Satan wants nothing other than Lucifer, right from the very beginning, wants everyone to worship him, to follow him, to listen to him, to do the things what he wants him to, for you to do for him. That is, that is darkness. That is, that, is, that is lostness. Are you with me? And so here, Paul makes it very clear. And not only that, but he wants to sit as God in the temple of God, which means, and we know right in the scripture, that the temple of God in Jerusalem will be rebuilt. And all the experts over in Jerusalem, when we went to Jerusalem and we met there, we went to the Temple Mount, we saw the teachings. They're preparing for this temple to be rebuilt. They know the Jewish people believe it. They don't believe in the Messiah. They don't believe in Jesus. But they know that God's going to come back some way and someone's going to allow them to build that. And that's where the peace treaty will be coming into play. And that's what I believe that this Antichrist or this man who's going to, and I believe when the rapture happens, the confusion is going to be tremendous in this world. And someone's going to step up and have the power and the ability with the swaying of the word, because he's empowered by Satan, will bring all of those non-believers who do not have the Holy Spirit in them to discern, will believe the lie and will follow this man. And the Jews will do it. Why? Because he's going to promise them the building of that temple on the Temple Mount next to the Dome of the Rock which is the Muslim. So both will be able to do their worship and to be able to claim that mountaintop there. I believe that. I think that's how the peace treaty will happen. Well, you're going to ask the question. I know you're asking the question. Well, what about all this peace treaties and all this peace accords and all these things that are going on here recently between the president and, the, and Jerusalem and, the, and, and, and orchestrating with the, the, the Saudi Arabia potentially, but the, the other, um, you know... Um, Muslim uh, countries there and uh, around that, that area. And you're, you're going to see a confederation of people going to join in forces and, and work out some agreements and peace that we're going to be at peace. To me, if you go back and look at the scriptures, Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, 39, look at that end. You can see that those countries do not go against Israel in the end times. When Iran and Iraq and Russia and all them come attack, those who have these these peace trees that we see coming up are not part of the game. They step back and they don't come in and join the Muslim force coming in against Israel. They actually step back from it all. 
Are you watching that? Are you reading the scriptures? If you're not, hey, come and see me. I'd be happy to get you some scriptures and help you go through those scriptures to help you understand. Because world events are playing out according to the scriptures we see today. It's, it is amazing. That's why I get excited. Soon and very soon, right? It, it's soon and very soon. It's going to happen. So, yes, we're going to see the temple rebuilt. We're going to see this man of sin's demand for worship will be extreme, and he will set himself up as God in the temple of Jerusalem, demanding this blasphemous worship from everyone. Go back and read Revelation chapter 13, verses 14 and 15, Matthew 24, 15, Matthew 24, 21, and Matthew 24, 29 through 31. And this is how it plays out, real simple. Peace treaty, rebuilding of the temple, three and a half years of peace. That temple's built. They start having worship. And at that midpoint of the seven-year period of tribulation that we see in the scripture, the Antichrist, whoever this man is, is going to walk into that temple, not just the temple grounds, not just around Jerusalem and declare this, he is going to walk into the holy of holies of the rebuilt temple and will demand that the Jews and everyone will worship him. And that's where we see in the scriptures, when you go back and read, we don't have time today, but the veils on the eyes of the Jewish people realize they've been deceived. And God says to them in the scriptures, I hope you're not pregnant because you're going to have to run and run really fast. And then basically the scripture says they're going to flee as fast as they can because persecution is going to come down heavily on those, uh, not only the believers. Remember, we get raptured out. But during that seven-year period of tribulation, those who did not believe you while you were here, but after the rapture, all of a sudden, guess what's going to happen to your cousin and your brother and your father or whoever it is that you had been sharing the gospel with? What's going to happen? They were right. Oh, my they were right. The rapture did happen. And where's that Bible they gave me? Where's the video they gave me about the, the end times? Where did they, where's the scripture they told me? Where's that letter they wrote me about they need, I need to give Jesus my life because if not, I'm going, to, I'm going to have to go through judgment with a rebellious world? All the attempts and, and efforts you've shared the, gust, the, true, the truth with and they would not believe it, now they're going to go through the tribulation and they could get saved though during that tribulation. We see many get saved during the tribulation of seven years. But I want you to get saved before that. I don't want you to have to go through the tri great tribulation because you know, if you know the scripture, that's, that is absolutely hell on earth that's going to be poured out. So we see here in the scriptures that this temple will be built. And so three and a half years, he, the Antichrist is going to come in and say, you will worship me, period. Nobody else. I sit on the throne. I am over everything. You will follow me. And that's when everyone realizes they've been deceived. And the one world dictator becomes, they declares he is God. Why? Because he's possessed by Satan. And Satan wants to be worshipped. And, uh, and that's what's going to happen. Now, this, what we refer to that when he does come in and says, I am God and you will worship me is called the abomination of desolation. And it's spoken of by Daniel and by Jesus. The prophet Daniel tells us the Antichrist will break his covenant with the Jews and bring sacrifice and offerings to an end. Because they were going to allow the sacrifice and 
sacrifice and, and offerings that the Jewish people do in the temple, that will start back up and that will stop because he says, no, you're going to worship me. And I'll give you the scriptures, Daniel 9, 27, Daniel 11, 31, and Daniel 12, 11. Even Jesus said, look, an abomination is standing in the holy place, which will be the pivotal sign for the season of God's wrath upon this earth. Again, Matthew 24, 15 and 16, and Matthew 24, 21. Because when that happens, the last three and a half years of the seven-year period of tribulation, God is opening up the scrolls, right? We see that in Revelation. We see uh, the bowls are going to be poured out. Do you see that? So there's going to be God's wrath actually coming down upon those who have rebelled against God. Now, some teachings, some people out there say, I don't believe the church is going to be raptured prior to the Great Tribulation, before God brings wrath onto this earth. We here at Calvary Chapel believe in pre-tribulation. Now, some may here may not believe that, and that's fine, because it's not a divisional thing. Some churches teach um, multiple other things, but mostly post-tribulation, meaning God is going to allow his church to go through seven years, three and a half years of prosperity, three and a half years of, of, of absolute wrath of God upon the earth. I keep it simple. I'm a simple kind of guy. So here, let me put it this way, guys. You have been planning on marrying this woman, this person you've engaged to, and you've been planning, she's been planning this wedding for a whole year. Or six months, whatever it is. I'll say a year. Are you telling me that you as a guy waiting to get married, to become one with this woman, because you love her so much you want to be married to her for the rest of your life, that you as the groom would sit there and bring destruction on your bride-to-be and, and, and your wrath come down upon her before you get married? Let alone after you're married, you're not to? But I bet you're ready to go to the wedding. And you're going to sit there and, and bring wrath upon your bride-to-be? And then say, okay, honey, let's go get married? Hello? I keep it really simple. Why would the groom, Jesus Christ, bring wrath upon his bride, the church, and then rapture? It's not complex. I keep it really simple-like. Because God says he is going to, like he did with bringing Lot out, just like he brought um, uh, Noah and sealed him up and protected him from the wrath that came upon the world, he is going to bring us out through the rapture before the great, uh, the great taken away here. And let's, let's talk about this coming a little bit more because of time here let's see how much more we can get done. Do, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, question mark? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do until he is taken out of the way. So we see here in the verses 5 and 6 and 7 that we see that he says, Don't, didn't I tell you these things? Didn't I remind you? He's trying to bring them back to what uh, the truth that he taught when he was there with them and through the first letter. But he says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Do you not see the mystery of lawlessness happening in our world today? 
Because these are things of what's going to happen when demonic forces and darkness is sweeping over. There'll be lawlessness. There's be no, I, have, I want no one in authority over me. Very rebellious um, attitudes at all levels. We know in the scriptures that children will rebel against the parents. I mean, they just don't want any authority. I'm in control. I get to live my life. I'm, this is my body. This is the, all these things you hear today. Nothing new in the sun. Even then, the mystery of lawlessness was reigning. It's a, it's a principle of evil that's already present in this world today. And it was present then as well. And it will ultimately unveil the man of sin. The son of perdition. It will ultimately will not be. This is these are things that we will see when this antichrist, this man of sin, the son of perdition, is coming onto the scene. But something, or in this case, very clearly, someone keeps that from happening. So the question isn't when you look at the scripture here. For the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. Only he, capital H, who now resists. Who's he? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit keeps this man and Satan at bay until God's perfect timetable is ready to happen. Why? Because God is what? In control. Say it again. God is in control. We want him to be in control. So what he's saying here, here is that this mystery of lawlessness is already happening. You're going to see the rebellion. You're going to see these things. But watch out because the Holy Spirit right now is resisting or restrains, I should say, now restrains and will do so. Get the wording. Will do so until what? What does that mean? There's going to be an end to that restraining, doesn't it? Going to do until he is taken out of the way. How is he taken out of the way? The father is going to send his son. The son is coming back for his bride, the church. And who lives within the church, you and I, but the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. And when he takes the church, he reveals and lifts and comes out. It does not mean the Holy Spirit leaves the earth. Why? Click, 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 click. Because God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. It just means that he will no longer be under this of, of using the church working through your life to restrain, to push back evilness. That is no longer the purpose because we'll be out of here. And now the Holy Spirit comes. And it's almost, it's almost like um, going back to the Old Testament kind of a way. Where the Old Testament was there, and we see Abraham is saved, and we see others, and the, and the prophets are saved based on faith. And so that's how people will be saved during that period of tribulation, because the, still the Holy Spirit's present. It's just not working in and through the new covenant of the church, because the church is, is no longer here. That's why when you read the scriptures today that I've given you, you'll notice it never mentions the church. It'll talk about Israel and talk about Jerusalem and the temple and all those things, but does not talk about the church. Why? Because we have already been what? Raptured. That's why it's really simple when you just sit there and ponder and have a good cup of coffee and talk and read about the scriptures. It's not complicated here. And so we see here that 
these, we're going to be, be taken up, taken out of the way. Holy Spirit will move on, and it will now say, God says, okay, Satan, you have a period of time called what? The seven-year period of time. And you can do whatever you want to do here, and it's going to happen, but my judgment's coming, and I'm going to bring about judgment on your rebellious, rebellious hearts in your state. It's going to happen. And at the end of the seven years, what happens? Jesus and you and I, believers, are coming back with him, and, play, and he's going to pl place his feet right on the earth. And again, that's a whole other teaching. But yes, spirit of lawlessness. Verse 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed when, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So Paul here states two certain facts about the man of sin. And here he calls him also the lawless one. First, it is certain that the lawless, lawless one will be revealed when the Holy Spirit removes his restraint. And two, it is certain that the lawless one will be destroyed uh, by the mere brightness of Jesus at his coming. The brightness of Jesus. The clarity the perfection, the light is going to be turned on so bright it will destroy any darkness that is present. Hello? You go into a dark room, what happens when you flip on the light? Darkness, gone. When Jesus comes back with his, you and I as his bride, it will be that darkness will be destroyed. Now, we'll talk about more later on. But Paul was certainly probably referring and referencing back to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4, when he had in mind when he said this. Because in Isaiah 11, 4, it says, He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Why? Because Isaiah here is referring to the Lord as Yahweh. And who is, the, who is Jesus Christ? Jesus is Yahweh. He is God. And so whoever this man of sin is, we may have already seen him on TV today, or we'll see him in the future, or somewhere, somehow, we're going to see, because his career has not yet started, because his career, his new job position is going to come about here soon. Because when that rapture happens and he is possessed and moved by, by the Satan to do these things, he will, they'll see him do wonders and signs and miracles. We'll talk about that next week. You really need to come back. You really need to come back. You know what I'm saying? 